Every great team is not created equal. Throughout NFL history, only a handful of teams are truly in consideration for the greatest of all time. But what about the others? What about great teams that you may have forgotten? Well, in this series, we're going to talk about them all, team by team, and truly find out who the greatest team in NFL history is. Our criteria includes offense, defense, how good they were compared to other good teams that year, how high was their peak, playoff success. All teams considered are in the Super Bowl era. We'll be looking at statistics. We'll be looking at performance. We'll be looking at key players, their story of the season, and how they would stack up against the best of the best. And when it all comes down to it, once we've gotten through every team in the NFL, all 32 teams and their greatest seasons in the Super Bowl era, I will definitively look and see who is, without a doubt, the greatest team in NFL history. Let's start. And with that being said, hello to everyone out there listening in the world today. I'm Sam Diebler, and welcome back to the One Man Break podcast. It's here. I teased it a little bit on Twitter last week. We're going to be starting a massive series today, like I said, um, over the greatest teams in NFL history. We're going team by team in alphabetical order. And if I, you know, I can't really express how much I'm really excited about this. A um, couple notes before we get started. One, um, all statistics are per pro football reference. Um, all, and we're going to be looking at this from a objective and subjective state. I'm going to be listing statistics. I'm going to be listing um, key moments. I'm going to be listing games and like all that stuff. So that's like the objective part. But I'm also going to be giving my opinion on the team based on the research I did um, for each podcast. But since we're starting in alphabetical order, we are going to start with the 2015 Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Arizona Cardinals are a team that have not had gr- very, a very rich history of winning. Um, there wasn't a lot of great seasons to choose from. And most of them have happened within the past 20 or so years. Uh, truth, truthfully, this came down to two teams. This came down to the 2008 Arizona Cardinals who made it to the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers led by Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden, and that dynamic offense, and the 2015 Arizona Cardinals led by Carson Palmer, Bruce Arians, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Tyron Matthew, etc., etc. It basically came down to one factor in my head. Which team could beat the other team when they were at their best? And I genuinely believe that the 2015 Arizona Cardinals are the best team in that franchise's history. And I will, you know, in some I might get some pushback on that because one team made it to the Super Bowl and this and the 2015 Arizona Cardinals did not. But this team was a complete and utter dominant football team. They were great on both sides of the ball. I mean, just to give like a blanket you know, stats. They were second in scoring that year. They scored 30.6 points per game. And then points against, they were seventh, allowing only 19.6 points per game. That is a 10 point, that's an 11 point, basically, point differential, which is, if you look at some of the greatest teams in NFL history, believe me, I've looked at them, that point differential ranks up there. They were 13 and three. This was the height of Bruce Arians football. Uh, this is the, really the first year he broke into the scene. It's like his offense was what it was. Carson Palmer had a monstrous back uh, bounce back year, guys. 
people forget how good Carson Palmer was and how good he was this season. It's genuinely impressive, the stuff he put together at age 36. I'll just He started all 16 games. He completed 63.7% of his passes in an offense that predicated downfield throwing. So that's really impressive. 63.7% of his passes, 4,671 yards, 35 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Which if you, and he had 11 interceptions in 537 attempts. Guys, that's a 2% interception rate, which is elite. He was only sacked 25 times, which is, which is less than two per game. That's real like your benchmark, the average usually is around two per game for NFL teams. So anything under that's really good. So they were led by that like an air raid, air it out offense. This is also the first year or one of the first years that Larry Fitzgerald moved full time into the slot and bounced back. If you look at Larry Fitzgerald's numbers leading up to this year, they were going down as he was getting older because he wasn't able to stretch the defense vertically like he had earlier in the year earlier in his career but he bounced back in a massive way this year and ever and bruce arians really really changed his the whole comp the complexion of that team around larry fitzgerald caught 109 passes for 1215 yards and nine touchdowns john brown was their deep threat that year caught 65 passes for 1003 yards averaging 15.4 yards a catch and seven touchdowns they also had guys like Michael Floyd, who averaged 16.3 yards per catch. So basically, this team was as such. They had two dynamic downfield receivers and a slot receiver inside that could get open over the middle and short. I'm going to say something right now. It might be a little blasphemous, but this team was the, is the precursor to the Buccaneers team that just won the Super Bowl. Think about it. You have your old pocket-passing quarterback, Carson Palmer, like Tom Brady. You have two deep threats on the outside who like to go deep. That's uh, J, uh, JJ, excuse me, that's John Brown and Michael Floyd, where the Buccaneers, you had Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. And then you have a slot receiver on the inside who's really good at getting open over the middle and short, like Chris Godwin. They also had a decent running game that year. You look at uh, guys like Chris Johnson, an old Chris Johnson, age 30, racked up uh, 814 yards and three touchdowns on 4.2 yards per attempt. Also, a young David Johnson, only at 24, came into his own that year, had 125 carries, 581 yards, and eight touchdowns. Also, excelled in the receiving game, had 36 grabs for 457 yards and four touchdowns. So they had weapons and weapons galore, man, and they were airing the ball out. They averaged 30 points a game. 30 points a game is a lot harder to get to, even in today's game, than it was back then. And this was finally at the point in NFL in the NFL where they were really, really leaning into the spread concepts a little bit more. Chip Kelly started that a little bit in um, Philadelphia, but then guys like Bruce Arians, Andy Reid, and other guys like that really expanded on the spread offense, the deep ball, um, but also spreading your defense horizontally. This team was very, very good at getting yards over the middle. It helps when you have Larry Fitzgerald and guys like David Johnson doing so, but it was really, really advantageous for them 
to get the ball over the middle, run after the catch, stuff like that. Um, so they could run it on you with two to three good backs. Andre Ellington had a decent year that year as well. But they could run it on you with three backs. They could throw it on you with three really solid receivers. And they had a de- some decent role players. Darren Fells that year was their best tight end. He had uh, 21 catches, 311 yards, three touchdowns. Not great numbers and not great production from the tight end position, but him and Jermaine Gresham combined for about 500 yards receiving, which is about average for a tight end. So, the, But then they also had guys like Jerron Brown and J.J. Nelson, both of them extreme deep threats. J.J. Nelson had ele- only had 11 catches that year, but they went for 299 yards, which if you do the math, that's 27.2 yards per reception. You're getting a fourth of the field off of one catch every time he touches the ball. That stuff, that's just that's, it's ridiculous. This team could outscore you. This team would be at home in today's game. And not to mention, as far as scoring goes, they had a great kicker that year. Chandler Catanzaro, 28 of 31 from, from field goal range, 90% field goal percentage. 53 of 58 on extra points. That's not amazing, but still, that's crazy. David Johnson, by the way, as far as scoring again, also had a punt return touchdown, or a kick return touchdown, excuse me. Come on, guys. This team could beat you in any kind of way offensively. They were extremely difficult to deal with. And I think the one thing that was so impressive about this team was that they were dominant, but they were also efficient while they were being do- while they were dominant. None of their running backs averaged under three yards, averaged under four yards of carry. Carson Palmer had eight point seven yards per attempt. That's elite. You're getting to like the Patrick Mahomes level there. Eight point seven yards per attempt. You're doing some special stuff there. So, and not to mention completing sixty three percent of his passes. So you are so that offense was efficient. They had they, but they could get big plays. They could run the ball when they needed to. And like I said before, Carson Palmer only took twenty five sacks. You couldn't. So the, and all that equals out to a thirty points per game offense. How about it, man? And that was just the offense. But what I think truly made this team different and put this ahead of the 2018, because the 2018 was also a great offensive football team, but the, the reason this team is really, really, really above that other team is their defense was unreal. Or at least it's the best defense they've had in a very, very long time. Probably the best defense they've ever had, as far as talent goes. This defense was led by guys like Dayon Buchanan and Tyron Matthew. Not to mention Kalias Campbell. This team was very, very good at takeaways. They got, let's see here. They had, um, Tyron Matthew had five picks. Rashad Johnson, five picks. Patrick Peterson grabbed two. Deion Buchanan grabbed two. Tony Jefferson grabbed two. Gerard Powers grabbed two. Justin Bethel grabbed two. Corey Redding, the old man at age 35, had an interception. So what I'm saying, and they also had two safeties on the year. So this was a playmaking defense that had a lot of athletes. You have guys like Deion Buchanan had 112 combined tackles flying around the field. Three forced fumbles and an interception. Three sacks. 
So you had, that was his best year. And I always liked Deion Buchanan as like a hybrid safety linebacker, but he permanently moved to the inside, the front seven, right inside linebacker. 112 total tackles, was flying around to the ball. And if you want to talk about flying around to the ball, let's talk about a guy that I'm extremely familiar with, and that's Tyran Matthew. He had 89 tackles that year, five picks and a touchdown, 17 passes defended and a forced fumble. This was honey badger, and he was only 23. What's crazy about this defense is for the most part, these guys were young. Deion Buchanan was 23. Tyron Matthew was 23. Kevin Minter, who was second on the team in total tackles with 94, had, was 25. Tony Jefferson was 23. Kalias Campbell, 29. Rashad Johnson, 29. Patrick Peterson was still only 25. It's unfortunate to see where it all went. But what, what really made me love this team and what really kind of just capped it for me is they were rolling out a 35-year-old Dwight Freeney. And he led the team in sacks with eight. That is the one weakness of this team and defense specifically was that they didn't have a dominant pass rush. Their pass rush was kind of by committee. Kalias Campbell only had five sacks. He was still more of an interior defensive lineman. This team was very much a 3-4 defense. Um, a lot of, they predicated speed, blitzing, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, Dan Buchanan had, you know, like I said, he had three sacks. Matthew had a sack. Tony Jefferson had a sack. Elias Campbell, five sacks. Uh, Marcus Golden, young Marcus Golden, four sacks. Alex Okafor chipped in with, a, with two sacks. Uh, Frosty Rucker, which is an excellent name for a football player, had three sacks. But there wasn't a lot of sack production on this team. But, like in eight, but here's the thing. In 11 games, only 11 games, Dwight Freeney had eight sacks. He only had nine tackles, and eight of them were sacks. <laughs> he was a pure pass rushing specialist, and he, if he played the full year, he probably would have had double-digit sacks at 35. Do you know how rare that is for an edge rusher? Eight sacks at 35? Dude was special. That spin move, still working. <laughs> oh, man. There, look. This team was balanced. This team was dominant. This team was well coached. And I think they were the second best, they were the third best team in football that year. Now, I told you all the statistics. I told you all the the numbers and stuff. And I like numbers. Some of you may not like it. So, but I tell you, stick around this series because it's going to be more than just numbers here. This team, okay, the lands, this team was in a tough NFL that year. The landscape was thus. You had, in the NFC, you had a Carolina Panthers team that went 15-1 and that year behind an MVP Cam Newton. Arguably the most exciting quarterback season we've seen in the last 20 years. I would say Mahomes in 2018, but I'm biased a little bit. So... You have that in their own conference. They have the 15-1 Carolina Panthers who would go on to beat them in the conference championship game. Okay? So you have, they're only, they're, in any other year, they probably would have been the number one seed best team in the conference, probably best team in the NFL. But then they had 
in their own conference, they had the 15-1 Carolina Panthers. In the other conference, that was Peyton Manning's last year. He wasn't very good. They started Brock Osweiler for a lot of games. The Broncos did. and But they were led by probably the best defense of the past 20 years. So, and then you still had Brady kicking around. Uh, the Chiefs had a good season that year. Uh, the NFC wasn't very strong. Uh, but you still have the Seahawks kicking around, you know, Legion of Boom. Uh, Philadelphia was not good that year, but Green Bay was still prominent. Uh, it, it, look, this team was, they were far one of the best teams. They were the top tier teams in that league. I mean, the, the league was still transitioning out of that old school system. We were finally starting to see predominantly shotgun offenses. We were starting to see the hybrid running game. Uh, a lot more screens, a lot more college influence in offenses. and But we still had these old quarterbacks like Carson Palmer and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees. I want to see a storyline. I want to tell you guys about a storyline that I paid really close attention to back then. I think I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast. There was a legitimate concern amongst league executives, uh, broadcasters, football fans, coaches alike that the quarterback position was not in a good spot as far as young quarterback talent was concerned. Um, the past few drafts for that position were not uh, good. <laughs> that 2015, that year, you had Bortles and Jameis Winston. Both of them struggled their rookie years. No, not uh, not Bortles and Jameis Winston, excuse me, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. The year before that was Bortles, and he obviously struggled and never really got on. 2013 didn't have a good quarterback at all. You had Geno Smith um, was the first quarterback off the board. 2012, you had Andrew Luck, obviously, and that was kind of their one beacon. Him and Russell Wilson came out of that draft. But 20, I mean, so it's like the young, there was a concern that there wasn't a deep enough young quarterback group in that league and that when the older guard started to fade out which Peyton Manning was already almost gone at that point Drew Brees we didn't know it then we didn't know then that he had five years left we thought he was going to be done in a few years same thing with Brady um same thing with uh Carson Palmer for that matter but that's what made this year so fun in my opinion because you got to see Carson Palmer just tear the league up and probably would have won MVP if Cam Newton didn't go Super Saiyan. Look, the league was so competitive back then. It still is, but it was so, it had so many different storylines. And it's largely, this team kind of largely fell under the radar until the postseason where they played one of the greatest playoff games ever played, which we'll get to. But... Right now, I'm just going to go through their season real quick. They started with a bang. They started 3-0 with wins over the Saints, Bears, and 49ers. None of those teams were very good that year. But with that being said, they won. This is how the scores were. This is how dominant this team was. 31-19 over the Saints. 48-23 over the Chicago Bears. 47-7 over the San Francisco 49ers. Then they lost their first game. Against a really bad St. Louis Rams team, which is funny. 22-24 against the Rams. Come back the next week. Smash the Lions. 
42 to 17. Lost against the Pittsburgh Steelers, another great team, by the way. I missed them that year. 13 to 25. Beat Baltimore 26 to 18. Beat Cleveland 34 to 20. Go into their bye week at 6 and 2. Come back, got out of their bye week. Beat the Seattle Seahawks 39 to 32. That was a really big deal. The Seahawks had obviously been dominating that division for three years at that point, had been to the Super Bowl back to back years. You come out of the bye week, you beat Seattle 39-32. Look at the scores they're putting up here. 31, 48, 47, 42, 39, 34. Beat the Bengals 34-31. That was another very good team that year. Come back and beat the 49ers again, much closer, 19-13. Crush the Rams in a rematch, 27-3. But like you could just see this team... The big stretch is in Week 15 against the Philadelphia Eagles. They, went four, they, they won 40-17. Then, in Week 16 against the Green Bay Packers, who made the playoffs that year, they won 38-8. to And then they lost in the Week 17 against Seattle, with I presume because they were just conserving their starters. It's 36-6. But then we get to the playoffs. And I've talked about this briefly before. I kind of fell out of love with football, which just so happened to coincide with the Chiefs just not being very interesting or fun to watch. Um, for about 2011, nah, nah, 2012 to 2015 at least. I mean, I watched a little bit in 2013, which is Reed's first year. 2014, the Chiefs were kind of mediocre, and they just weren't exciting to watch. I was still a fan. I'd watch the games, but it was I wasn't paying attention to the rest of the league. Same thing in 2015. The Chiefs had a great year. They they went they started one and five and won ten straight, eleven and five. So I but then I in preparation. The Chiefs won their first playoff game that year in like 20 years. So I was really excited. I was on a football high. I decided to watch the divisional playoff game between the Green Bay Packers and the Arizona Cardinals. And a combination of the Chiefs winning their first playoff game in 20 years and this football game. It's part of the reason I speak so glowingly about the Arizona Cardinals of 2015. That playoff game made me helped me fall back in love with football. And I watch every game I can since. That game, and I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about, that was Hale Rodgers, uh, you know, 2.0 in a playoff game. That was the shovel pass to Larry Fitzgerald to end the game and the throwback to set it up, the throwback to Larry Fitzgerald by Carson Palmer to set it up in overtime. It's one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. And... The Cardinals won it, and I watched every minute of that game. And guys, if you ever get the chance, if you ever have the opportunity to go back and watch that team, that game specifically, go do it. That team was good. And it took the individual brilliance of Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live, put to push that game into overtime. That's how good the Carolina Panthers were. Excuse me, that's how good the Cardinals were. That was the divisional round, excuse me. But I watched that game the next week. And they ended up losing pretty big to the, the Panthers the next week, but I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for this team. And maybe that makes me a little bit biased, but I think this is the greatest team in Cardinals history. All right. Each of these podcasts, by the way, we're probably going to be around 30 minutes each. Um, just a real quick stuff I can get out quick to you guys. 
but the criteria includes, I told you about this before, offense, defense, how good they were compared to other teams that year, how high was their peak playoff success. So with offense, I give it an A. Um, you know, they... Basically, they they were they averaged 30 points a game. They were second in the league in scoring. You can't get much better than that. Not only were they they were good, they were balanced and efficient and dominant. They get a solid A for their offense. Defense, I'll give it an A. Eh, I'll give it a B plus. They were seventh in points allowed. They didn't have a great pass rush, um, and the pass rush they did have was out by the postseason. Dwight Freeney only played 11 games. Um, they didn't consistently get enough pass rush and takeaways to really go over the top, but they were very, very good in the regular season at times. Had some great talent on that team too. How good were they compared to other teams that year? Um, as far they were, they were in the top tier, which basically means they were the top two or three teams in the league, the Super Bowl contenders. That's what, we'll, that's what we'll basically say. They were Super Bowl contenders that year. I don't think anyone could argue that. Um, how high was their peak? And I'm going to define this as how high was their level of play. How good was their level of play? And I got to say, it was Week 16 against the Green Bay Packers. It was the Week 15, Week 16 combo of the Eagles and the Packers. Late in the year, it's very, very hard to blow out teams. And they did it two weeks in a row, 40-17 to 17 and 38-8. to 8. That was their peak. So, I mean, you could say their peak was the win streak, the 10-game win streak or that 9-game win streak between Week 7 and week, seven, uh, week 16. You could say that. I would argue it's just those two games, 40-17, to 38-8. So their peak was... The, how high was their peak? It wasn't as high as other teams at all, and it wasn't great. But I would still say they were dominant at their peak. Not all-time dominant, but they were dominant in that season at their peak. Playoff success is where we're really going to bump them down. They only won one playoff game. They lost in the... Uh, they lost in Week 17. Oh, excuse me, they lost to the Carolina Panthers in the conference championship game, who was a great team, but they eventually got smoked in the Super Bowl. So how, you know, what is it really? Sorry, I'm just writing all this down. So I guess here are my final thoughts on this team. And I've, and I've talked about them a lot. So you know, But look, they are an extremely balanced, extremely good team who, if you ask me, I believe that they... If you ask, excuse me, if you ask me, I would believe that they, this team would have put up more of a fight in the Super Bowl against the Broncos. That's just my two cents on it. They were a more complete offense than Carolina was, and their defense was comparable, if not better, than the Carolina Panthers' defense. I think this team is a, very, is a perfect example of modern football. The downfield passing game, um, the inability like the the balanced run game the running back by committee run game a defense predicated on getting takeaways um and 
you know, hybrid linebackers like Deion Buchanan. Um, and just like efficiency, but also downfield prowess. That was basically the Arizona Cardinals in a nutshell. On one side, you got efficiency and downfield throwing. On the other side, you have hybrid linebackers with speed and takeaways. Um, this team, while it is a personal favorite of mine and why I'm able to like, and I'm really excited to do this series, and I was excited to start the series off with this team, I don't know if this team really would will stack up very highly against like some of the great teams that like obviously won Super Bowls and were like had dynasties and stuff. And but this was a fun start, I think. And um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna like coming back to revisit this team when I'm ranking all the teams themselves. Um, but until that time, uh, I'm just gonna have to uh, be happy with what I talked about today. So guys, this was a great start for to this series. Um, if you enjoyed it, if you like it, if you want to see something different, if you want to me to talk about something different, tweet at me at Sam Diebler. That's S A M D E A B L E R all lowercase. We're going to be doing one of these a week. If you want to see these more often, which I might have to do it to get them all out by the time the season starts, the new season starts, then you just let me know. Um, just tweet at me and tell me that. Um, obviously, all rate, all ratings, all comments, all likes on podcasts, all listens, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. But guys, thank you guys so, so much for listening. I'm really excited to start this project, to start this massive, massive, um, like, undertaking you're ranking 32 teams next week we are going to be going over the arizona um falcon no (laughs) wow arizona sorry arizona's on the mind the atlanta falcons um and if you guys can guess what team it's going to be because i already know which one it's going to be just send me a dm or send me a tweet on twitter or instagram i guess um and just let me know each of these going to be around 30 minutes, guys, so we're going to wrap it up right here. My name is Sam Diebler. Thank you guys so much for listening for all of us here at the One Man Break podcast in Excalibur Studios. We all want to say thank you, guys. Stay tuned. Arizona, gosh, gosh darn it, Atlanta Falcons next week. Stay tuned.